everyone welcome you're listening to the hindu podcast in focus i'm sahasini heather with us today is somebody who can be described in so many ways as the authoritative voice on india's relationship with china shiv shankar menon has been the former national security advisor the former foreign secretary and the former ambassador to china he's the author of the book choices on indian foreign policy and has an upcoming one on india and asia as well uh, he is the chairman of the advisory board of the institute of chinese studies and uh, teaches now at ashoka university Mr. Menon, thanks so much for speaking to us. Thank you for having me. Um, I want to start with what we know so far, because uh, so so far it's been difficult to comment on the standoff in Eastern Ladakh. But what we do know is that a precedent has been set with the two-month standoff, and particularly in terms of the violence, uh, not just during the Galwan clash, but also that where there were casualties, particularly the ones we know of on the Indian side. what do you think will be the lasting impact of this standoff well i think there's no question that after this india china relations will be reset i think there's no going back to the situation that it was in before i do think this has been building up for some time that india china relations have been getting more and more adversarial for some years before this that the elements the kindling has been put together over some time but certainly what china did this time pressing forward on multiple points along the lac and uh, then also apparently changing the definition of what she claims to be the lac uh, the deaths for the first time since 1975 on the border uh, all this i think represents a significant change in chinese behavior and actually calls into question the whole structure of agreements and confidence building measures that were put in place since 1988 with the 1993 agreement uh, which had kept the peace on the on the border for some time but uh, as you say it's very hard to be too specific because frankly both governments strategic communication has been abysmal uh there's a lot of spin there's a lot of leak leaking there's a lot of motivated articles in the press but there's very little authoritative commentary by either government and even what they say they then backtrack clarify etc uh so you're right it is difficult at this stage to to comment on the particular uh details of what what is happening and what has happened in the last two months but this is a still a crisis i don't see this as having been solved yet or being behind us and i am sure that india china relations will have to be reset after this right and you're saying that we're still going through the period of the crisis uh, however we do know that the hostilities on both sides have taken a pause um since the commanders conference and all that has followed after that uh but look at some of the details we are hearing about um for example we're talking about a pull out on both sides troops being pulled back uh, at least 2 kilometers at places more at others uh there are so many questions to be asked if the prime minister said the chinese haven't transgressed into indian territory what are they withdrawing from why are indian troops even pulling back if chinese troops have actually uh, transgressed um the idea of the buffer zones suspending patrols to points on the lac that we used to traditionally 
patrol. What do you make of some of these terms? Uh, because to the average person listening in, as you said, there's a, there's a bit of a cloud of confusion, but the sense is unless there's violence, it should be okay. Well, I think it's actually dangerous to, because disengagement, pull back, withdrawal, buffer zone, all these are frankly partial measures, which the way we are hearing about them, it doesn't suggest that we, we are actually doing this from across the line. It suggests that we are withdrawing from territory which we have controlled consistently and that we, part of the problem started when China stopped us from doing our normal patrols in these areas, which we've done for years, for throughout my living memory at least. We've been patrolling to these various points. The Chinese have stopped us from doing so at several points uh, since April. And I don't hear anybody saying that we are going back to those points. So, frankly, if we are withdrawing from territory that we have controlled, I don't understand what, what is happening here. But again, as I said, you know, we talk of the fog of war. This is the fog of peace. Uh, so, and there isn't enough coming out clearly. And the result is, therefore, that rumor is rife. That right. people are, you know, everybody is an expert on interpreting satellite pictures today. You have multiple versions of what's happening. Uh, and that's why I said the details, it's very, but what I hear about buffer zones, disengagement and so on is worrying. And let me tell you why I think it's worrying. Not because of the intrinsic value of, you know, one kilometer, four kilometers of territory. But it seems to me that we are setting a dangerous pattern. In fact, we are actually teaching the Chinese the wrong lesson. And this started with Doklam where we negotiated withdrawals by both sides from the face-off point in 2017. But the Chinese then proceeded to establish a very strong permanent presence on the plateau, leaving the face-off point itself free, but all around it. And something that they had never done before. Before that, they used to visit once or twice a year, patrol and go back, just to signal their claim. But now they're actually sitting on the plateau and on our side. And I don't think this is a military failure at all. In fact, the Indian military knows exactly how to deal with these situations and has dealt with them very well. But I think it's a political and diplomatic failure to actually call them out for changing the status quo. Uh, something that they were committed to maintain both vis-a-vis -vis Bhutan under their 1998 border peace and tranquility agreement and with us. So frankly, they learned the lesson that as long as the Indians could walk away with a propaganda victory, they could actually make gains and change the outcomes on the ground in their favor. And I think the risk is that we see the same kind of thing happening now here in Ladakh. I'm not saying it has happened yet, but there is a real risk here. Uh, in other words, what we're seeing is really more of what the same strategy that China's followed in the South China Sea, where she changes facts on the ground, presents you with a fait accompli, takes two steps forward, and then negotiates one step back. But that's on your territory uh, rather than on anything else. So the net gain is really for China. So you have this one, two steps forward, one step back sort of strategy. Uh, call it whatever you will, salami slicing and so on.
But that's the risk. And if we are agreeing to a similar kind of arrangement, no matter how temporary you say it might be, all these temporary arrangements tend to have, tend to actually become relatively permanent. I saw an analysis somewhere saying that uh, in the, in 50% of the cases of such feta company uh, in the last 35 years, uh, 50% of them have actually been permanent. I mean, they've, they've just stayed as they were for the last 35 years. So, and most of these are in Asia. That's so there is a risk here that we're actually, you know, reinforcing the wrong lessons. All right. Interesting. So are you saying that uh, the insistence on the status quo ante that they used to speak about going back to the situation pre-May uh, is something that has to be enforced soon or in fact, there will not be a status quo ante. We'll have to negotiate a new normal at the LAC. You see, we shouldn't be negotiating down from the change situation, which has already been changed adversely in our favor, in against us. So what we need to do is to insist that China implements what she's committed to implement under the agreements, what she says she is committed to do, which is to respect the LAC and maintain the status quo. And thereafter, if she has any other issues, we, we should be open to discussing them, whether it's clarifying the LAC or whether it's even more than that. Right. What you're saying is that there is still so much left to negotiate. How do you see this um, in, in, the, in the longer term, in, in terms of uh, China's aggression, particularly at the LAC? After all, during the last two months, we haven't just seen the Ladakh sector, what's called the Western sector for China um, engaged. Uh, we did see an uh, initial uh, skirmish at the Sikkim line as well. We understand that troops have been mobilized in a, in a big way on, in Arunachal, or the eastern sector as well. Um, what should India really be looking out for next? Well, you know, this is much more than just limited tactical gains of one, four, five, eight kilometers in one place or another on the border, because to tear up and to actually enter into a much more adversarial relationship with India, to change the terms of engagement on the border, fundamentally, uh, I think amounts to much more. It's a much bigger political diplomatic act by China than just some local military tactical gain, you know, overlooking the DBO road or, or gaining, moving the LAC a few miles this way or that. I think they must know that uh, there will therefore be a, a re-examination, not just of our ties with China, but as a consequence, there will be a strengthening of our ties with other countries with whom China does not have such good relations, whether it's the US, whether it's other countries who are concerned about China. So you have to wonder why did the Chinese do this? And, and there has to be a, a political answer to this as well. I can, I assume that they saw what this would do for India-US relations, where they've always said that they would like India to be neutral between them and, and China. But it, this, they're doing this suggests that they've come, come to the conclusion that you have already crossed a certain point in your relationship with the US and are now effectively working with the US on China. Uh, if they have come to that conclusion, they could be doing this to actually show the US that, look, they can't count on India as an ally in dealing with China. They could also be doing it to show your other neighbors that if they want security with China, then there's no point relying on India. India can't even take care of its own territory. 
And that could be one of the reasons why they do this. None of this will ever be said in public, not even possibly by Global Times. But uh, it seems to me that we have to look for broader reasons. And that is why I say that the fundamental basis of India-China relations has been brought into question and must be re-examined by us. We have to re-examine our assumptions about Chinese behavior and about what, why they have done this and the effects of this on our broader policy in South Asia with China's other neighbors, with the US and so on. You've just spoken about the geopolitical impact both in the region as well as uh, amongst global players, you know, what this is going to mean in a sense, uh, what is the signal that China is giving India? I would like to take that um, maybe, in, you know, one at a time and ask the first question. When you say that uh, China has already probably gained that India is in a closer relationship with the US, could I ask from our point of view, is that something India is in fact uh, in a situation with there's a suggestion now that uh, India would militarize the Quad, if you like, or certainly bring the Indo-Pacific uh, concept, which Prime Minister Modi once said was a geographical concept, and make it a strategic concept. Do you think that is the way for India to counter China? Well, let me. It seems to me that you know that's not the entire solution because India-U.S. congruence actually applies to the maritime domain. That's where it is most evident. You know, when you look at the exercises we do, when you look at the issues on which we have convergence, it's really the Indo-Pacific. Our problem with China right now is on the land. It's a continental problem. It's, and that problem is not going to be solved by the US. That's something we have to solve by our own self-strengthening. But to the extent that there is a broader Chinese challenge to us, and to the extent that China is the greatest challenge that we face, both diplomatically, geopolitically, and in other ways, then yes, certainly, we, we will work much closer together with others who share our interests. And in the Indian Indo-Pacific or the Indian Ocean, Asia-Pacific, whichever way you want to call it, it seems to me that India and the US, like Japan, like Australia, like Indonesia, Singapore, Vietnam, other countries, have an interest in keeping that entire body of water open, secure, and available to all of us for our trade, for our peaceful uses, as it should be under the international, under UNCLOS, under the international law of the sea. If I could just um, ask about that strategic congruence, the strategic closeness, the defense closeness, all of this, uh, with the US. And mm -hmm. yet, uh, the one message, if you like, that India sent out overtly was the visit by the defense minister to Moscow. And then the uh, narrative that India was actually asking to expedite the one system, the S-400, that actually is something that the United States has said time and again, that it sees as a breach of its, um, uh, if, if, if its policies, that it invoked sanctions from the US. So if I could turn that a little bit and ask, what do you think that message was about? Well, you know, it's never been either or for us. It's never been binary, either the US or Russia or anybody else. Even it's never been either the US or China. I mean, we've worked with both and we will continue to work with both. Right. Like it or not, China is your biggest neighbor, is your biggest trading partner in goods. Uh, if you add services, then it's the US. 
so there is, you have 23,000 Indian students studying in China. It's not as though these are not exclusive, mutually exclusive. The US might have an act which says that if you buy weapons from Russia, they will do various things, but they haven't applied it to us so far. And I hope their good sense prevails. They see the common interest. There is, if you look at it, Russia is still the source of our major military platforms. And uh, so there, it's, it's not that we can suddenly decouple from Russia. And why should we? Russia has been a reliable friend, a trusted partner in this field for so long, long before we managed to develop this kind of relationship with the US. So it doesn't seem to me as though we need to put one in opposition to the other. And I think it, it should be our endeavor actually to continue to, I do think that one consequence of what we've seen happening in Ladakh and the whole reset of India-China relations will be stronger India-Russia relations as well. All right, I'm coming to the end of our conversations. So I do want to sum up some of the other responses uh, from India, because of course, we didn't just see the, dip, uh, the diplomatic and the military responses uh, at the LAC. We also saw certain economic measures being taken over the last few months. First, there were the FDI restrictions on countries bordering India, which essentially affected FDI uh, or uh, foreign direct investment from China. Uh, there's been a sort of go slow on imports uh, at our ports of Chinese imports. Uh, there's been a push really on, uh, on, on, on Chinese products in particular. And then the banning of 59 apps that just all happened to be Chinese. Yeah. How do you think these measure up in the larger, um, in the larger standoff with China? Well, you know, it seems to me that's why I'm talking about a fundamental reset in the relationship. Because a public opinion itself will force some of these steps. And let's see how far the public takes the boycott of Chinese goods, whether how far, how much more they are willing to pay for things to avoid buying Chinese goods. Uh, that's one set of issues. But certainly from the government of India's point of view, it makes sense to ensure minimal Chinese presence in critical infrastructure and to try and reduce dependencies in critical sectors, whether it is APIs for pharmaceuticals, whether it's our telecom sector, whether it's power. I mean, there's a whole fintech, for instance. We are very dependent on not just Chinese investment in our various companies, but Chinese technology, which runs most of our fintech. There's a whole host of steps which I think will be part of this broader reset of the relationship, which and these will find their own level. I mean, in the heat of the moment, of course, people will say boycott completely and so on. I'm not sure that that's where we will end up. But there will be a cutting of dependencies and there will be a reaction to what has been done. You know, I, there's a point that I like to make often. We both misread each other very often. When the Politburo decided on the attack on India in 62, Mao Zedong told the Politburo, oh, you know, don't worry, we'll fight a war, we'll win, and in 30 years, the Indians will forget about it. Now, China could fight a Korean war, enter an armistice in 1953 with the US, and within less than 20 years, 1971, agree with Kissinger on the Nixon visit, and become a de facto ally of the US. That's not how India works. And if you ask Indian opinion, it still hasn't got over 62. I, we have this history of misunderstanding each other. I, I really think that in this case, 
the Chinese actually, this was a misadventure. I, I think they, and but most of these consequences were predictable. And yeah. I, I, you know, maybe that's where they want to go. Or they have other overwhelming domestic reasons to actually go there. Certainly not enough of a deterrent for them. You know, we'd spoken after the Doklam crisis, and you had spoken of the need for a new modus vivendi. Uh, mm -hmm. In a sense, um, we did see informal summits between the Prime Minister and uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping after that. Uh, mm -hmm. Now you are speaking of a reset. Give us a sense of what you see as the diplomatic roadmap. Some have suggested we'll be in a diplomatic sulk for a while. Uh, Low-level cooperation with China is all that's possible. And then slowly, perhaps, move back to a greater balance in the ties. When you say reset, what would you like to see? You know, right now we're in the middle of the crisis, so everything is possible. I mean, I would say all three things are possible. We could go the 1986-88 way after Sundrung Chu, when the Chinese came in and sat on territory on our side of the, of the high watershed in the eastern sector. And we ended up with the Rajiv Gandhi visit and the new understanding, the Modus Vivendi of 88, which kept the peace actually for several years and enabled us both to develop and grow. Uh, we could go that way. We could go the 1959-62 way, which is a steady downward spiral in the relationship where public opinion and actions by the other side drive us actually in finally into conflict, uh, which is the worst option. Thirdly, we could go uh, into the sort of no war, no peace, indeterminate space where relations are much more adversarial. You still talk to each other, you still do some trade, some business, but basically it's not a, it's not a comfortable or a working relationship which goes very far and it runs the risk of deteriorating at any time. Uh, without any larger sense of framework within which to operate, which is agreed by both sides. Uh, which do I think is the most likely? I think the last is the most likely at this stage, because these are on both sides. These are not governments with very clear visions that they have spelt out of where they want to go. Both countries today are at a stage where ultranationalism is what constitutes legitimacy for the government's authoritarian leaders, they find it very difficult to compromise and to actually to do the bargaining and the and to evolve a modus vivendi that could actually see us a new modus vivendi, which takes into account the new situation, the new balance. Uh, I, I think they'll find that very difficult. So therefore, my expectation is sort of muddling through for the time being. But that always contains the risk of things getting worse. Well, I, I, I would like to ask you so much more, uh, but I think we have uh, run out of time. Uh, Ms. Menon, thanks so much for speaking to us on In Focus, and we look forward to having you on again. Thank you. Thank you very much.